Morrison surrenders to the virus, what Omicron means for you, and the good news is about beavers. Oh, such good news about beavers. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and it is always a great pleasure to be with you. And I'm being joined live in our home and our pyjamas by the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, Van Batten. How are you feeling, my darling? Well, we are both in our pyjamas. What a way to start 2022. And of course, the reason why we're in our pyjamas is that we are experiencing some kind of inexplicable sickness, Ben. Yes, we have somewhat flu-like symptoms. And unfortunately, I've had to run to the toilet many times today. We've had joint pains. Did you miss us, listeners? Did you miss us? Yes, we have fatigue. We have joint pain. We've had headaches. We've had Um, a bit of inflammation of the joints. We've both tested negative to coronavirus with our very precious rapid antigen tests, which I feel very smart for having bought on Boxing Day before the price shot up through the ceiling. But we're not feeling very well. Benjamin and I are, of course, very lucky to be amongst the 11% of Victorians who have received three vaccinations. We did not wait. We raced to get that third shot. So maybe we're testing negative because the vaccine is preventing germs from taking hold. Maybe we just have another kind of seasonal flu. But community-minded citizens that we are, we have locked ourselves in our little cottage with our dog, uh, rather a lot of canned food and our microphone. And I knew that my prepping habits would come in handy, Benjamin. Indeed, they have. They have indeed, Van. And look, it, it feels strange that this is our 69th episode of the week on Wednesday. We are now well and truly uh, into our 18th month of broadcast, and we're still talking about coronavirus and COVID-19. I'd just like to say, uh-huh, make it stop. <laughs> this episode is coming out relatively late. We normally don't uh, normally don't put out episodes quite as late as this one has come out, but we wanted to listen to what Scott Morrison had to say after the National Cabinet meeting on Wednesday the 5th of January uh, because really in the last couple of weeks we have seen a massive escalation in the number of cases of COVID and I think the whole nation has been really concerned about the way things are progressing. How many cases were there today, Ben? Around around Australia, there are over 64,000 cases just today. There are currently over 270,000 active cases of COVID-19. Now, to put that into perspective, that's essentially the equivalent of every single person who lives in the greater Geelong region having COVID-19. You know, that's essentially the equivalent of, uh, I think it's Ipswich, Mackay, Cairns and Townsville all having COVID-19. So these are, this is quite a large population of Australians now uh, who have COVID-19. And they are the reported statistics, of course. That's right. These are people who are picked up with PCR testing that's done through the auspices of uh, the public health system. So these are the cases we're picking up. And, of course, the reality in Australia at the moment is that you're told not to report for a PCR test just on a suspicion or with symptoms. They want you to have some kind of advanced indication that you are sick before you get that kind of test. 
testing and that if you if you have mild symptoms to just stay home. So people like Ben and I who, uh, if we are positive, would get probably get picked up on a PCR test, even if our symptoms are mild, we're not reporting. That's and right. again and again, people who are testing positive through rapid antigen tests, should they be fortunate slash rich enough to obtain them, those people are not getting picked up in the statistics either. That's right. And what we're seeing, of course, is that because the queues of PCR testing facilities are so long, a number of uh, PCR testing facilities have been closed. People are not going out and getting those tests. Even if they, even if their rapid antigen test says they're positive, if their symptoms are not you know, so severe that they feel they need to do that, in fact, they're, they're, some people are going direct to emergency uh, emergency rooms around the country, emergency departments around the country, and that's causing stress on our hospital system. So the reason why we wanted to hear what Morrison had to say today was because over the last two weeks, we've had this massive explosion. So in the, in the last seven days, we've, we've gone from 56,500 active cases to 270,000 active cases. And... What that means is that huge, huge change in the way Australians are responding. We've seen rapid antigen tests sell out around the country, even at exorbitant prices, $30, $40 for a single test. We've seen these long queues, people leaving their cars in queues at PCR testing facilities. Oh, my favourite is the people who get there the night before the queue opens, the night before the testing centre opens, and sleep the night in their car to be in the queue when it opens the next day. So we wanted to see really what Morrison was going to do to address this pretty dire situation. And of course, the union movement, um, the AMA, that's the Australian Medical Association, the uh, Royal College of General Practitioners, that's your GPs, the nurses unions, uh, the Labor Party have all called for rapid antigen tests to be made available for everyone for free, uh, who needs them, right? And I want to make the point that this is what's happening in other countries. Yeah. So uh, the Guardian reported today um, that, like, it's just, it is shocking. So in the United Kingdom, under Boris Johnson, a man not renowned for compassion or generosity on or, you know, competence on mm. any scale, uh, in the UK... They will. Um, you, every person is entitled to seven free rapid antigen tests. How often, Ben? I think it's every day, isn't it? It is extraordinary. So it's free, and I can vouch that this would be true because one of my interesting experiences in the world. I don't know if I've discussed this. Is that I was living in Britain during the swine flu epidemic mm. back in the days when we thought epidemics were bad and I managed to get swine flu twice once at the beginning of the outbreak and once at the end because it mutated in the middle and of course it was very dangerous they wanted to keep you out of doctor surgery so you wouldn't pass it on imagine like simple public health regulations and you would phone an NHS hotline, say, I've got swine flu. They'd go, no problem. They'd call your local pharmacy and your local pharmacy would deliver um, Tamiflu, which was the medication for mm. it, through your letterbox. Mm. So there was no personal contact. It was all free and that's how they treated the problem. So they're using a similar system with rapid antigen tests. A system, Ben, we could replicate here uh, in Washington, in America, 
you call up, you get a test for free. Um, they're bringing in, Biden has just promised 500 million free rapid antigen tests so Americans can get access to them. In Ireland, it's the same thing. You phone a health service hotline, they deliver them to your house on demand, no questions asked, because they're trying to keep coronavirus out of the community. This is happening all over the place. In Europe, in various European countries, if you're going to a restaurant um, and you haven't got evidence of a recent test result, they give you a rapid antigen test at the restaurant before they seat you. And they're creating all these points of access around making sure that people who are positive are not Mm. spreading the virus. And that's how they're trying to stop the pressure on the health system. In Australia, we have pursued the Domicron's Comicron let it rip. Let's just pretend coronavirus is not happening, which I'm sure was very appealing at Christmas time. We all wanted to pretend that the virus was over and that the high vaccination rates would save us. But only 11% of Victorians have had their third shot. We're not protected. We know you have to have a third shot as part of the vaccination regime. That hasn't happened, meaning that even if you're double vaxxed, you're not as safe as you would be if you were triple vaxxed. And we also know there are vast numbers of Australians who aren't vaxxed or whose vaccinations Mm, mm. are subject to a, a, a situation of being immunocompromised. There was an excellent piece by Cash Aurora, Aurora in um, on SBS News that appeared over the weekend where he interviewed a number of people who are immunocompromised who are terrified of being out in the community mm. because of a lack of tests, because there are positive people circulating who don't even know that they're positive, uh, because they can't get tested or anything else, because these public health provisions haven't been put in place, there is no plan, and the system is collapsing around us, not to mention there are children who cannot be vaccinated. Absolutely. The goalposts keep getting moved on when children can get vaccinated, what vaccination windows are. And we know in Australia a lot of this is happening is because we don't have enough vaccines. Well, this is the other point, right? We're starting to see people come forward and say, my, my booster shot has been delayed. We've seen evidence of people who were supposed to be boosted, even just today, being told on the day not to come to get the booster because the supply hasn't been available. So, you know, we have always said, go and get your vaccine, go and get your your secondary shot, go and get your booster shot. Your third shot. Your it's third a three-shot shot regime. And, and we will continue to say that because that's the best health advice. But it is very, very hard for people to get that when the supply isn't there. And really... You know, today I think the whole nation, with these huge numbers, I mean, New South Wales has 35,000 cases of coronavirus today, right? And, you know, all of the platitudes about, well, it's less likely to cause hospitalisation, which is true, which is a good thing. But Norman Swan made the point on the ABC this week that let's say it's five times less likely to cause hospitalisation. Omicron we're talking about as opposed to Delta. That's right. So So, let's say Omicron is... Let's say Omicron... Hospitalisation rates for Omicron are 1% as opposed to 2.7% for Delta, right? So that's a much lower rate of hospitalisation. And doesn't that sound positive when you put it like that? It does. But Ben, you're good at maths. Would you care to extrapolate on the data, please? Because the other factor is, of course, how many actual cases there are. And what we're seeing with transmissibility is up to 50 times as transmissible. Omicron is 50 times as transmissible as even Delta. And people might remember when Delta hit, everyone was... We were all really concerned about how transmissible Delta was. 
Well, Omicron is even more transmissible. So if the sheer numbers of people who get infected go beyond the benefit you get from being less hospitalised, you're still going to have more people in the hospital. And that's what we're seeing. So what we're seeing now is New South Wales has far more people in hospital than it had at the peak of the Delta crisis. Victoria is getting up to where it was with Delta already. And yet we're still well off a peak of of actual numbers of people having Omicron. So there's a lot of pressure on the health system. Not to mention something that they've discovered in Britain. So part of the problem with coronavirus is that a lot of people, whatever iteration it is, alpha, beta, gamma, epsilon, you know, whatever the, yeah. the version of it is, is that everybody's desperate for good news. Everybody wants good news. Yeah. I want good news. I feel like absolute living garbage today and I want some good news thinking that if I have this infection it's going to be lighter or it's going to be easier or I'm not going to end up in hospital or whatever. You and I have both come down with this in the past two days and I hope to God it's another virus. I would love to go coronavirus free. But the situation is that wishful thinking and optimism is not how is is not the way to approach a crisis. You know, you hope for the best and plan for the worst. That's what governments are supposed to do. And the issue that we have is that whenever there's some good news like that comes out of a study or whatever, everybody grasps to it and becomes an instant fact. It's like when we were told that children were miraculously immune to coronavirus. This is way back yeah, in the beginning yeah. of the outbreak. Well, that's not true. And I was talking today on Marcus Paul's show on 2SM and he is wonderful and if you are basically anywhere but Victoria you have access to Marcus Paul's show on the 2SM network and you should totally listen to it he is a breath of fresh air when it comes to commercial radio so and it's a morning show and I was talking about how we we seized on this as a community as if this was like a completely mm. indisputed fact and of course with the delta outbreak in america their hospitals were choked with sick children like that's because yeah. people had decided that this sort of positive indication was a solid incontrovertible fact and it's the same with omicron everybody's going oh it's less serious it's less serious it's no problem and yet the transmissibility is through the roof and what they're discovering now in the uk what they're seeing now in the uk i wanted you to make this specific point about what they're seeing in the UK is that younger people so that's people sort of under the age of 35 were very much the sort of first wave of Omicron um, infectees right they're people who are getting Omicron and what they're seeing now is that older people are getting it and hospitalisation rates are going up, which, when you think about it, makes sense. Yes, because young people have been desperate to get out. Yes. You know, there are their social lives have greater valency and more connections and close contacts, I think is possibly <laughs> yeah. a polite way of putting it. And, yeah, so they've been out, they've been socialising. They took, you know, the, the Freedom Day go flag quite seriously. I know this about the UK because I lived there yeah, yeah. for a long time all my my friends have been telling me this anecdotally and of course the more you're out the more you're socializing the more you're exposed to it and they are getting sick and of course younger people have fewer comorbidities than older people because they haven't you know statistically picked them up in all kinds of different directions and yeah so the, the the likelihood that there's not going to be an intersection with other prevailing health conditions is higher which would indicate that omicron is you know less severe but we don't know there's so much about this virus that we don't know and it continues to be a case of the morrison government hoping that the early good news 
is the only news. And that's really the disturbing thing to come out of this press conference, Van, because what Morrison has announced really is actually quite terrifying when you get under the surface of it. Everybody expected the National Cabinet meeting to be about rapid antigen testing, whether they were going to be free and who they'd be free for. And there's certainly some of that in there, right? So there's the announcement is that for 6.6 million Australians, now keep in mind, that means 20 million Australians are carved out of this. 20 million Australians don't get this. But for 6.6 million Australians who have concessional card status, they will have access to up to 10 free rapid antigen tests over the course of three months. Right? Now, I'm not brilliant at maths, Ben. Like, that's not one of my key attributes. But I know a little about arithmetic. And as far as I know, there are 25.6 million Australians as of 2020. I had a bit of a Google before. If we subtract 6.6 from... 25.6, that leaves 19 million people who are not getting free rapid antigen tests. Absolutely. 19 million people, 19 million. So all the pressure that's been in the system for the last two weeks because of this massive increase in Omicron cases, and yes, it's younger people, and yes, the hospitalisation rates are slightly lower, that pressure is still there. Because the reality is that the 6.6 million people who are now eligible for these free tests are essentially older Australians who, for the most part, have been taking more precautions anyway. My mother is banned from leaving the house. Right. Like, listeners of the show know that my mother has a cancer diagnosis and I've been caring for her up in Sydney. And You can imagine my guilt at being back in Victoria for a couple of weeks while she's up there is just profound and I just want to acknowledge my beautiful cousin who's been looking after her, who's amazing. And I've just banned her from leaving the house like I've banned it because I am terrified of my mother getting exposed to this. Absolutely terrified. And the the one of the really troubling elements that came out of this press conference van was from my perspective, and I think you'd agree with me, an overwhelming sense that Morrison has effectively surrendered to the virus. Absolutely surrendered to the virus. So I think a couple of weeks ago we all kind of went, they're just leaving this rip. Morrison and Dominic Perrottet have just decided for all of us that we're just going to have to live with the virus in inverted commas. It is literally the Mad Max school of policymaking that we just embrace chaos. We just embrace chaos. We let it rip. You can all thunderdome one another at the shops to get a rapid antigen test if you're lucky. You know, it's this crazy free market ideology where, you, you know, the price of things is determined by how much people are prepared to pay for them. And if you're not prepared to pay $50 per rapid antigen test, then you don't really want one and you don't really need one. I mean, they believe this. And it's this sort of, like I said, it's embrace chaos. It is Mad Max policymaking. It's dust clouds and, you know, souped up muscle car, like approaches to lunacy. And it, it, it let it rip. And I made this point on Twitter. It means families get ripped and individuals get ripped and vulnerable people get ripped and the fabric of society gets ripped. And, one of the things that gets ripped is the workforce. Oh, please talk about this, Ben, please. Because I think this is one of the things that came out of the Morrison press conference that we weren't expecting to hear about, right? And let me just say, as always, you need to join your union. And once you hear this, if you haven't joined your union, I don't know what you're doing. Keep in mind that 
the union movement got 100,000 people in the space of a few days to sign a petition calling for free rapid antigen tests. So 100,000 people signed the petition. The petition's still going because, of course, Morrison hasn't provided those tests. Go to megaphone.org.au. You'll find the, the petition there. You should sign that. I've signed it. Join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday. I've checked the link. It's still working. Thanks to our friends at Australian Unions. Whatever industry you're in, whatever job you do, whatever kind of workplace you're in... You need protection. Join your union. Because what we're seeing is devastating. The Centre for Future Work is suggesting that as many as up to one-third of all workers will either have COVID or be exposed to COVID in the coming weeks. Now, that's... One in three people, right? One in three working people will will either be have COVID or be caring for someone who's a close contact with COVID. And what's the usual sick rate, Ben? Three to four percent. So the usual sickness rate is three to four percent, and we're looking at thirty to forty percent in New South Wales. It is mind-boggling. We're seeing already, and 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 keep in mind. What I'm about to tell you about Morrison's announcements is is in this context, where they they know there's going to be one in three workers sick or a close contact. They know that there are hundreds of childcare centres already closed. They know that there are many aged care centres that are effectively shut down, running on skeleton staff. They know that this is happening, that there are restaurants, cafes, all sorts of workplaces closed. My inbox is choked with notices saying our cafe is closed, our restaurant is closed, we won't be reopening till the end of January. Disability services in the home. Disability services. Yep, aged care services in the home. All of these things are vanishing. And we know that there's a crisis in the healthcare system. Absolutely. 50 healthcare workers at the Royal Hobart Hospital have tested positive for coronavirus. 50. So in that context... That was announced today. In that context, Scott Morrison has said that they will... That they have developed a new risk management framework... ...for aged care and healthcare workers that moves away from a zero-tolerance... ...a zero-tolerance approach. And that instead will make an assessment based on the risks of the individuals involved in the workplace. That doesn't sound resource-intensive at all. And can I just say, they're also going to look at how they roll this out to quote-unquote critical workforces. And he mentioned here transport, trucks, logistics, distribution centres. What it's going to do is it's going to reduce or remove the isolation periods for people who are exposed to coronavirus. It's actually going to increase transmission. Because if you go from a zero-tolerance approach to a risk management approach, there's always an increase. That's a surrender. That's that is a surrender absolute to the surrender. That's a, oh, we didn't really think let it rip through. Like this is a lot about Liberal Party ideology, Ben, and about this lack of of understanding human beings as intersectional work, like as mm. intersectional working units, right? Yeah. So we're people, not just They don't think cogs. of working people as people. They think workers are cogs. They do. Yeah. And that they're expendable. And the 
The theory espoused by Uncle Karl Marx is that of using the unemployed as, and I quote, a reserve army of labour. Yeah. Like, I'm get, let's, talk, let's talk a little doctrine in Marxism. So Marx is like, right, having maintaining an unemployed population is really important to capitalism and you make unemployment as awful as possible because it terrifies people who do have jobs into not making wage demands, not demanding better conditions, not unionising, things like that. Mm. Like part of the way that you can continue to exploit your workforce is go, well, I could sack you and then you'd have to join the ranks of the living dead and, you know, hell on earth, which is unemployment. And you can see this theory playing out in Australia, like where uh, the conditions for the unemployed in this country are absolutely shocking. We know that... um, that uh, job seeker is beneath poverty, yeah, absolutely. beneath the poverty line. It's deplorable. And it fits into this worldview that you just keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing your workforce because there's always going to be this reserve army of labour of the unemployed who will leap into the chance of a job if one becomes available because you've sacked other workers elsewhere. That's how the Liberal Party think of us. They yeah. are behind, you know, like supporting that ideology. In fact, they don't think that's negative at all. They'd call that, you know, an efficient um, labour model, yeah. you know, that well, you would think, and that's how you think of these things. But what's happening, of course, because of coronavirus, and I want every single worker in the economy to have a moment of realising their labour power because now coronavirus is taking people out of the economy because they are too physically sick to work. Well, entire systems are breaking down because it turns out human beings are interconnected units. Yeah. And taking out a truck driver or a retail assistant or a nurse or anyone causes massive disruptions to how society can, oh, feed itself and function. And this is why they've gone down this route, because rather than deal with the issue and plan for the issue ahead of time and go, we're going to need rapid antigen tests, we're going to need to increase our PCR capacity, we're going to have this, when we open up to to foreign arrivals, we're going to have this Omicron vulnerability. Rather than deal with those things, they just went, oh, we'll, we'll just play it as play it as we go. We'll, we'll play it by you. We'll mad see how max we go. it. We'll mad max it. And, and let's be really, really clear about this, right? Because the New Daily had a piece on this today. The SMH has, has a piece on this today. There have been two locally produced rapid antigen tests since March of last year. March last year. March, March 2021. That's right. Which is a calendar, almost a calendar year ago. One made in Queensland, another fronted by Joe Hockey, of all people, former Liberal Treasurer and former Australian Ambassador to the United States, Joe Hockey, both of which were offered to the Morrison government so they could use them to roll them out to people so that rapid antigen testing could be made universally available, right, to diminish the likelihood of systemic workforce collapse. That's what Morrison's trying to do now, right? Basically by saying, we don't care how sick you are, we want you to come to work. That's effectively where he's There moving. are people in the healthcare system who have been told to work with... But he was offered these. He was offered these. Australian made. Australian made. Australian made. Australian manufactured. Turned them down. Didn't want them. So the Queensland company selling them to Europe, and the Joe Hockey fronted group, unsurprising given the guy's a former US, uh, ambassador to the United States, is selling them to the United States. What a coincidence! What a coincidence! Now, Morrison. Part of Morrison's announcement is he's going to try and bring in export controls after the fact. The horse is bolted. With so many of these things, Morrison's failure to plan 
is allowing him to implement this ideology, man. It's allowing him to do that, right? Because what what other choice does he have, right? That's essentially what he's saying to the Australian people. Well, the other choice he has is to adopt what we would call a Keynesian model of capitalism where you actually invest and create economic opportunity by realigning your economy to be centered around workers as people. Absolutely. And this is this is the point I made on Twitter the other day was that the Morrison government owns Australia Post. They could hire 3,500 more postal workers to get rapid antigen tests into people's letterboxes ASAP. This new concessional plan that excludes almost 20 million Australians it's not even going to take place for two weeks he's not interested he's not interested in looking after people part of this announcement today was that he's asked Michaeli Cash Attorney General Michaeli Cash oh, renowned for her competence and rationality such a such a stable and consistent performer Michaelia you know so well detailed and responsible her, her, I shouldn't be saying I shouldn't be this sarcastic when I'm unwell because it actually twists my stomach. She is going to be looking at the OHS issues. She's going to be looking at it at some future and how, point and how to minimise employer uncertainty so that people don't have to have tests in order to come back to work. Oh, great. So what we are going to have is a workforce full of sick people. This is what I love. Like I said, they just think of us as productive units. They don't think of us as people because, I don't know, Ben, I feel like garbage today. You feel like garbage today. Could either of us do an eight-hour shift in, you know, in our comfortable white-collar professions, do we think maybe we could maintain focus? Have we had that kind of day? No, I, I think we would struggle to do just the kind of the, the, the kind of white-collar work that we are fortunate enough to do, let alone, uh, I mean, I tried to do 10 minutes of gardening and I nearly collapsed. Yes, this I know. Is, I'm the one who had to get you to the couch. This is, this is not... An illness, even when you have a mild case of the flu, you know, let alone a mild case of coronavirus, that you can simply work through. To say to people, we want you to expose others to this, people who are more vulnerable, like than you, my mum, is downright dangerous. And it's Morrison surrendering to the virus. In some ways, it's Morrison embracing the virus, right? He's embracing the opportunity now. At the start of the pandemic, he he did try a kind of ham-fisted neo-Keynesian approach, right? Okay, well, we're going to give people money and you're going to stay home and all right, we'll make sure everybody gets a test who needs a test. And over time, that has shifted into this Friedmanite, free marketeering, you know, let it rip, let the market decide. If you've got the money, you can pay. If you don't have the money, you can miss out. And actually, your only value to this economy is helping the economy continue. All right, so let's just explain what we're talking about because we've we've learned through audience feedback that people listen to this program because their hearts are left-wing sure. and their instincts are towards socialism, which is, of course, you know, greatest of all ideologies. Um, but they listen to us because we explain 
these yeah. concepts to them. No judgment. Like, not everybody has spent the past few decades of their lives immersed in, like, socialist economic theory. Sure. People have been doing other things. You and I have no children and this is what This we is do. what we do at our time. So when we talk about Friedmanite uh, ideas, we're talking about the radical uh, economic thought of Milton Friedman, who is an American economist who is heavily influenced by European economists whose name was Friedrich von Hayek, and these guys were free market obsessive. Friedman in particular. Mm. They hated socialism, they hated communism, and they and Friedman developed this theory of markets and unfettered markets, completely deregulated markets, as being the most efficient way of delivering resources around an economy. And it's based in this idea that people make perfect economic decisions for themselves and invest their money on the things they need the most and that markets of people buying and spending and selling solve all the resource distribution issues of the world. It, it's totally bupkis because it relies on a whole series of assumptions that simply aren't true. Assumptions like everybody has the same perfect knowledge of every element of the market and every element of every product and service they might possibly engage with as the person they're engaging with. So I'm the buyer or the seller. I know exactly as much as the other person who's the buyer or the seller. Now, we know that's not true. And how do we know that's not true? Because Friedman talked about deregulating doctors as an example. Yes, Milton Friedman (laughs) in Capitalism and Freedom, which is a book, by the way, that Timmy Wilson, who's the member for Goldstein, who's a a liberal, I think he's a parliamentary secretary now, which is genuinely terrifying. He's a Friedman obsessive. And rather than swearing his oath to serve the parliament on a Bible or a Quran or, you know, taking a kind of atheist pledge as other people do, he literally signed the most sacred oath of duty on a copy of Capitalism and Freedom. I have still not mentally processed this. I got picked up by my editor at The Guardian a few weeks ago for having mentioned it in an article for like the fifth time because I'm clearly traumatised by it. In Capitalism and Freedom, Milton Friedman a lunatic who, by the way, had no problem with apartheid in South Africa either. Yeah, or Pinochet in Chile. Or Pinochet in Chile, who he helped out. Yeah. Literally used an anti-democratic coup run by Augusto Pinochet as an opportunity to trial his economic model in that country. Yeah. Which is not an ethical or good thing to do, people, and tends to indicate that the inherent assumptions of neoliberalism are, what's the word I'm looking for? Evil and anti-democratic. They're two words, but there you go. Um, Milton Friedman proposed that medical licensing was a market obstruction. So you shouldn't have to have a qualification process for doctors. Anyone should be able to just be a doctor. There shouldn't be any controls on your commercial behaviour because the market would just sort that out. So if you were some quack who, you know, accidentally cut people's arms off because you were incompetent or a loon, well, the market would just, like, people just wouldn't buy your doctor's services. And, you know, I think it's really telling to bring up that example of of Friedmanite thinking, given we're in a pandemic. And Tim Wilson (laughs) is a member of the government who are making these let it rip decisions. Oh, Ben, if only there was an observable pattern. I think it's actually really observable now. I think there have been so many shifts within the Morrison government from the kind of neo-Keynesian approach for the start of of the pandemic. You know, the one that kept us alive, that one. To where we are now, which is essentially saying, well, look, it's more important that the trucks run on time than the truck drivers are healthy. That is a hugely disturbing concept that 
that the Morrison government is really kind of embracing this idea. Like well, Truck driving, which is the second most dangerous occupation in Australia. Yeah. Right? That has a literal body count, truck driving. Yeah. We are going to put extremely vulnerable, like under enormous pressure workers who are our transport workers in a situation where they are not only dealing with the endemic risks of, risks of an extremely dangerous job that doesn't only kill them but kills other people, yeah. we're going to oblige them to work sick. Fantastic. I mean, that's not a recipe for disaster at all. Well, I think one of the good things here is that obviously the trade union movement in Australia has already said, well, we'll see about that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that was Sally McManus's first tweet after the absolutely shocking presser today was we'll see about that. Yeah. And can I just say, and I tweeted this, I'm an Australian and I love this country and I love the community, which is why I line up behind Sally McManus and not Scott Morrison. Absolutely. Because the Freemanite thinking of the Morrison government, which would say, well, if your aged care facility is riddled with COVID, Maybe you'll pick one that's not riddled with COVID. Because everybody knows that aged care is so easy. I mean, everybody, (laughs) I just, I mean, I want to reach out to my fellow carers of elderly Australians because I am one now. And you would know, other carers of older people, how absolutely easy it is to get, say, 80-year-old cancer patients to do whatever you want. Hi, Mum. Hi, Mum. How are you? So, yeah, just moving them out of aged care facilities is no logical problem at all. But it... No logistical problem. No problem. No emotional problem. There are no emotional problems that come with aged care. Existing family dynamics just don't come into it. Do they? Do they? Well, I think one of the... (laughs) The dog just growled. (laughs) One of the things I want to really get to in this discussion, Van, is that... (laughs) Therapy? No. The ideology is really starting to show its teeth and claws. You know, even in the way they're proposing to do the concessional rapid antigen tests, right? It's cumbersome. It's paperwork heavy. It's designed to exclude people, not include people. It's designed to it's designed to discourage people from taking up the offer. It fits, as you said before, with the way they approach job seeker. It fits with the way they badly regulate aged care. It, the way the Morrison government has approached Every aspect of actually being a government has been to make government so awful, so difficult to engage with, that people think the concept of government is the problem. And it's not. It's not the concept of government that's a problem. It's the government we have. It's the government that we have. the Liberal Party. And they need to be punished. And I say this in case there are Liberal voters who listen to this show. Like, let's call time. Let's seriously call time on this because if you're a Liberal voter, I mean, Ben and I can explain Mm. your extinctive ideology to you. You might be more on the socially conservative side and believe in, like, the traditional family and, you know, freak out about, you know, like a social free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. All right. And okay, that's fine. That yeah. that is an instinctive value. Well, low for some taxes. People. Low and taxes. Smallest possible government. And, and yeah, and don't like being told how to run your business by the government. Sure. And okay, all right, but this is not functional. And 
even if you are a pro-business sort of I heart entrepreneurialism kind of, you know, I'm yeah. in this to make money, does this look like a functional economy to you or does this look like a plague island? Because I'm getting very strong plague island advice. Ben and I, you know, like your comfortable middle-class customers, we're not spending any money. We're hiding in a house. Yeah. We're sick. We're trying to make sure my mother doesn't get sick. And we're making decisions around protecting our community, and that is the same for the overwhelming majority of Australians. And that's what most small businesses are saying. Articles are appearing now every day where small businesses around the country, particularly in states like South Australia, Queensland and Tasmania, where this Omicron wave is the biggest wave they've ever had by massive numbers. Like, you know, yes, it's biggest in New South Wales and Victoria as well, but compared to what those states had before, this is overwhelming, right? And people are not going out. People are not spending money. People are not engaging with small business because they're making the decision to try and stay alive. But it's also not functional the way that there are, that's our dishwasher going in the background. Everyone, isn't that a happy yeah. sound? Oh, our dishes are done. Oh. Oh, that's a moment of positivity. Right, now back to the crisis. And it is a crisis. Somebody posted a photo of a supermarket in Bathurst the other day, uh, mm. today, mm. where there are bare shelves because interruptions to the supply chain mean that businesses can't perform core business. If mm. your business is selling bread and bread cannot turn up because all your truck drivers between the bread factory and your shop are sick, your business is not functional and your customers, the market, is going elsewhere or nowhere at all. So we have massive domestic supply chain interruptions. And this is new for us. When everybody was getting frustrated during Delta in the state of New South Wales when we were in mm. that long New South Wales lockdown when you and I forcibly separated for four and a half months, like it, there was a lot of frustration about things being ordered from overseas that weren't arriving yeah. or that massive delays. Well, now we're in the situation where things that are made like yeah. locally or, you know, like those few precious remaining manufacturing industries we have left can't supply for because of interruptions to the supply chain. This is where we are. This I isn't. Like, it's time for this government to be punished and to go. If any of you out there are centre-right and want to get back to an equilibrium where you're off making money, this is not actually the government for you because this is a mess. The great irony is that there was more economic activity earlier in the pandemic among a greater number of people, you know, and and there's economists now predicting really terrible economic numbers in January of 2022 because of the mishandling of this. And it comes on the back of terrible economic numbers uh, that happened towards the back end of last year because of the way it was mishandled in New South Wales. There is so many so many fault lines that have just broken down because of the mishandling, because of the failure of the Morrison government. And the Perrottet government and in the New Perrottet South Wales. Government. And the total disaster of New South Wales has affected the rest of the country. Absolutely. Like their it, de- their it's decision, the biggest state. It's the biggest state and the decision to let it rip and when it was like, oh yeah, it's fine, anti-vaxxers. Yeah. I genuinely cannot believe that unvaccinated people who were incubating the virus, and we know that that's what happens, like that is what happens, I cannot believe that New South Wales just let weeks of that occur. Well, it, it has occurred, and now, of course, we're going to have to reap the whirlwind. And what does it mean for people? Well, 
it means that for most of us, we're still going to have to Thunderdome it out at the pharmacy or supermarket to try and get a rapid antigen test. We're still, you know, even with some new price control mechanism coming into place, we're still going to end up paying more than just about anywhere in the world for them. We're still going to face being sick without actually getting any support. We're still going to have problems accessing hospitals. We're still going to have problems accessing the critical things that we want to buy and that we need to buy. And we're still unsure about what it means in terms of going back to school. Morrison says everyone's going to go back to school and schools are going back and it's all going to be fine. Well, again, we'll see about that because I've got to tell you, we know people who are unsure that it's safe to send their children to school. We know teachers who are unsure that it's safe to have children at school. We know immunocompromised teachers who know that it's unsafe for themselves to put themselves in that environment. So we're creating this expectation, Morrison's created an expectation today that normality will return and that he will, to some degree, try and enforce this. It's it's, it, it's angering, right? Like it creates such a sense of anger in the community. And Be- betrayal. Because we've all done the lockdowns. We've all tried to do the hard yards. We've all tried to do the right thing. Dominic Perrottet became Premier of New South Wales with the wave of the magic hand of the New South Wales Liberal Party, not through an election. He decided, he decided to take the protections away for the to whole country. the medical advice that he received. And made that decision on behalf of the whole country, most of whom didn't vote for his party at a state level, right? Let alone vote for him in any way, shape or form. He made that decision. Morrison, our national leader, who throughout the pandemic, frankly, has abrogated responsibility at every opportunity. Delegated, victim blame. Not his responsibility. The states will take care of that. It's responsibility of the states. Embraced embraced the boy prince from New South Wales as his opportunity to let it rip. Well, now that's happened. And what does Morrison do? Now Morrison wants to be the Prime Minister to tell everybody what to do. Now he wants to tell us when it's safe and when it's not safe to go to work. Now he wants to tell us that someone who's been exposed to COVID should be allowed to work in aged care and exposed to immunocompromised people. Like it is an outrageous sense of entitlement from these two people from the New South Wales Liberal Party, Dominic Perrottet and Scott Morrison. It is just shocking. And I want to make this point about schools as well, and this is really important. So um, I have a lot of American friends and what's happening in America is always slightly ahead of what's happening here. And one of my friends has teenage sons who suffered terribly during the lockdowns, were isolated and have had, you know, like all kinds of issues reintegrating the school system. It's been really hard because they were in a really high lockdown area in America. Anyway, what's happened, of course, is that they've been desperate to get back to school, absolutely desperate to get back to school. They're back to school. Promises were made. The schools would stay open. Huge relief to my friend who, you know, was desperate for her kids to be back in the system. But, of course... Omicron is ripping through the area where they live and the schools can't stay open because the teachers are dropping like flies to coronavirus. And the schools can't stay open if there are no teachers to teach. And this becomes the problem, right? The problem becomes that people who are no longer classified as close contacts, because Scott Morrison has redefined the words, redefined the terms, 
actually just get coronavirus. Like they'll actually get COVID. So people, they they're in <laughs> people who are currently being protected from getting the virus because they're isolating because they're in an exposed environment will go from isolating because they're potentially have coronavirus to having to isolate because they have coronavirus. This pushes the problem slightly down the road a little bit. It doesn't resolve the issue. It but it does increase the risk of hospitalisation or death. It does do that. It oh, does do that. And here are more fun facts from overseas. So Brazil, which has a bit of a lit it rip uh, yeah. here in the form of uh, Bolsonaro, yeah. not one of my favourite people. No. Not a fan of Bolsonaro, no. given the whole... I'm a feminist who likes trees thing. He's not really on my team. But uh, Bolsonaro um, is presiding over Brazil that has seen a new syndrome, uh, medical syndrome brought with coronavirus. You may have missed this. Yeah. It's called Flurona, and that's where you have influenza and coronavirus at the same time. (sighs) And that's the new fun we've got to look forward to in 2022 is Brazilian Flurona. What a fun syndrome that will be and will not harm or kill anyone except it will because people already die from influenza. That's right. And while we had lockdowns, influenza had a, a, had a bit of yeah. a drop-off rate because we were all breathing on one another and giving it to one another. Yeah, Florona. You know, Van, uh, this is our first episode for 2022, and I have to say there, there's a lot of negativity uh, about this year already, and I can understand why. You know, I feel I feel awful physically uh, as well as mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But, you know, I do want to say to people that there is some hope on the horizon here. There are elections this year. Yep. There is a federal election here in Australia. You can put the Liberals last. You can actually punish Morrison at the ballot box in a way that he will be forced to understand. There are elections in South Australia where, again, they've had a let it rip mentality under Marshall, you know, again, moved from a sort of neo-Keynesian view to embracing this Friedmanite approach. And now people are really suffering. We've seen children in South Australia die from COVID uh, in the kind of holiday period. There's an election there, I think, in March. There will be an election in Victoria at the end of the year as well. You know, we can actually have our voices heard at the ballot box. And, of course... You have to join your union. The Morrison government is using the cover of COVID-19 to weaken workplace health and safety laws. That's basically what he announced today. That's what he wants to do. Yeah. You know, you need to be part of your union because it's together in union that we will put an end to that. We'll put an end to that. At the ballot box, we can change government policy, but we protect our workplace rights by standing together in union. But I also want to say this to people. Liberal governments do not unelect themselves. They need help from you. Yeah. And, like, fundamentally, what we're dealing with now is a crisis. And the whole point of democracy is that representatives of the people have ideas that the people vote on that will guide policy from this point. And it's becoming pretty clear the binary difference in the two parties between those ideas. You know, Labor want a society where human, like working people are recognised as intersectional, interconnected human beings and there are systems in place to guarantee their opportunity to prosper and to thrive and to meet crisis 
collectively, all right? What Labor are essentially offering is a Star Trek view of humanity, that we work together to solve problems, we solve problems with reason, we don't leave anyone behind. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and the one, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many, that we look after one another. Collectively, we look after individuals, individuals are responsible to the collective. That's the Star Trek view. The Mad Max approach is that you're just all in it for yourselves and whoever's got the most resources gets to be a warlord and everybody else gets, you know, locked out or has to tend the pigs. Like, that's that's really what we're dealing with. What are the ideas that you, as a voter, think are best for the community? What do you think is going to get us through? Because, yeah, when there's, like, a minerals boom and everybody's making loads of money and nobody wants to pay any tax, I can see the appeal of the Liberal Party to some people. That's not where we're at. We're in a situation where anybody's ability to thrive is severely, severely hampered by the failure... That's my watch talking, is severely hampered by the government's reluctance to invest in infrastructure, to support communities, to create space for individuals and their differences Mm. to be accommodated in the most productive way. Like, it it is a binary choice. And for me, there's no question. You know, like, I will absolutely preference the people who put pineapples on their heads party above the Liberal Party in the next election because the Liberals have got to get the lesson that their job, whether they're Liberals or anything else, if they're centre-right or, like, you know, pineapple worshippers or whatever, that if you want to be a government, you actually have to govern. And governance is done through institutions and through institutional integrity. And since they have been in government these eight long years, our institutions have declined to the point under their so-called stewardship where they can't protect the people anymore. The people are not protected There is a virus running rampant and people are scared and cannot get the resources they need to look after their households and families, right? This is not the ideology for the time. I keep saying it. They are the worst possible government at the worst possible time. So absolutely, I am in support of the Labor solution to this problem, which is to build up institutions and to leave no one behind. And the only way out of this, friends is to campaign for Labor government. That's it. That's the only option on the table. And I know that people are like, oh, the independents, and oh, I don't know. You know, Labor made a decision in 1979 that I didn't like, and I take that on board. And it's like literally the worst Labor government imaginable because it is guided by an ideology of collectivism and collective responsibility and institutional resistance is better than the best Liberal option right now. Yeah, And that's absolutely. the truth. That's the absolute truth. And we're seeing it play out at state level <sighs> right across the country. Van, let's end our first episode for 2022 on some good news. Beavers! Because I understand you have some good news for us about beavers. I'm literally ecstatic about beavers. Tell us about the beavers. Oh, my God, beavers in Utah? Yeah. Like Utah, you think Utah, you think desert? Mormons? Desert and Mormons. Basically, that's Utah. I mean, apparently the skiing is very good, but... I'm not a skier. I mean, we don't ski, so that's kind of irrelevant to us. But what they've also got in uh, Utah is they have uh, problematic communities of beavers. Problematic communities of beavers. Yeah, yeah, beavers where they shouldn't be. Yeah, right. Yeah, so in some parts of the state, there are... There are beavers that get into things and cause problems and whatever. So they were going to euthanize them. Yeah. Which is awful. Yeah, that's terrible. Beavers are great. Beavers are nature's engineers. They build dams. Yeah. And environmental scientists were like, hey, 
a surplus of beavers is an awesome thing, rather than euthanise these brilliant and gorgeous little mammals, yeah. we've got some some very sick rivers in Utah because of agricultural sediment, because of, you know, like pollution and all this yeah. stuff, diseased rivers, um, rivers that are subject yeah. to drought, all of these problems. We uh, Give us your surplus beavers and we will put them in these sick rivers and we'll make them healthy again. And that's literally what happened because beaver dams actually create filters that yeah. clean rivers and beaver dams in- increase the vegetation around riverbanks and they stabilize riverbanks and that means that they it, it not only improve the flow of rivers but they also create a situation where vegetation re-thrives because they've got access to water through the very systems that beavers build this is fantastic news. it is so good so like be pro beaver support the beaver re-engineering of sick rivers in utah and they're rescuing rivers use it they call it passive um like passive ecology yeah. where rather than human beings coming in and going well oh, let's you know build a bunch yeah, of yeah, stuff yeah. that may not solve the problem they're using the available natural resources of the brilliant beaver and not euthanizing problematic beavers but putting them to work fantastic jobs for beavers a job a job for every beaver i'd love to be a beaver <laughs> i also think problematic beavers is one of the best names for anything ever yeah it's a great band name. If somebody wants to make me a t-shirt saying problematic no no don't don't, don't, make, <laughs> don't make that um look that's all we have time for this week the first episode of 2022 if you've missed this you can always buy my book QAnon and on a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults we will this year we will launch uh, ways in which you can financially support the week on Wednesday we love doing the show it's fantastic Uh, we are however spending money advertising getting the message out trying to make sure as many people as possible paying the occasional producer if we screw up the recording that does happen from time to time from time to time and we're thinking of doing some Germanicus our dog themed merchandise so if you'd be up for that let us know let us know what you think about that idea if you're very pro it or if you're very against it we do want to make sure that the week on Wednesday reflects the the interests and the views of you our listeners and we also want to make sure that the podcast remains free and accessible so that people who are of limited means can gain access to it Um, but if you were prepared to say spend a little money on a t-shirt or you know some behind a paywall content or whatever that would be great yeah the podcast will always be free because that's what we believe in we want to make sure everybody can hear what we have to say partly because we like to make sure everyone can hear what we have to say and partly because we like to hear back from you about what you think thank you to everyone who messaged us over the break who sent us ideas for the stories obviously COVID became such an overwhelming thing that it's been a big focus for this episode hopefully next week we'll get into some other issues as well join me on Sunday for the weekend wrap where I will wrap up the news uh, that happens between now and then and have a little bit of a look forward to the week ahead as well and now Ben and I are completely intellectually exhausted and we're both going to have an early night and a limb sip thank you so much love you Vanny I love you too and guys we love all of you thank you for supporting the show thank you bye bye